You are listening to You in the Truth, where we will give you the truth face-to-face. Now what you do with it is up to you. Hey everybody, Rant and Ralph here, and I am here with my good friends Tom and J-Rod Z. How are you gentlemen tonight? It's okay. Terrific. Excellent, excellent. Great topic tonight. Uh, I'm going to sit back and listen to you guys. We're going to talk Trump indictment. Something that has really got me upset. I mean, this thing has just really hit me right where it hurts. So I'm going to try to stay calm tonight, folks. Um, Tom, I'm going to let you kick this off. What say ye? Well, simply put, Ben Franklin, when the Constitutional Convention uh, was finishing up, was asked by a lady on the streets, he said, uh, Dr. Franklin, what, what have you created here? And he said, a republic, if we can keep it. Well, right now, uh, the district attorney in Manhattan has potentially put a death nail into our republic. And it's that significant. It's that serious. This is not a small matter. Uh, it, that's where we are today. And whether we can recover as a country beyond this point um, is, is going to be based on the fact, can the rule of law continue beyond this point? Because we all know uh, this was a political indictment, and that's exactly not how the process is supposed to work. It's the exact 180 of how this process is supposed to work. Today, and I posted this on my Facebook page the other day, when that indictment dropped, um, it was my opinion that all the candidates for the Republican nomination should drop out and, and put their support behind Trump because this is a constitutional crisis. Without a constitution, we have no republic. Without our, our rule of law, which is what makes us a great nation, um, the difference between Mexico and the United States was that we had a rule of law and that everyone lived by that rule of law. Now, we can talk about the history of political indictments, and they've been it's been a long history. Uh, but the reality is, by and large, our system of jurisprudence worked. And by that working, we had the bonds that tied this nation together. That's where we are today. Jason, why do you respond to that? I don't know where to start. Um, this is obviously politically motivated, and um, they almost said that they were going to do this months ago. And as soon as he got elected, you know, Soros backed him. He got elected, and um, he started working away, trying to figure something out, trying to find something. But they've investigated Trump for, what, six years at this point, and they haven't found anything. So I guess it makes sense. Go back to the beginning, and let's start over, and let's uh, group them all together in one indictment and see what'll stick because that's kind of what this is. Well, the, you know, he already beat this. Before. They have Jason. Let me just add one layer to that puzzle. Not only did he, mm-hmm. um, uh, the district attorney, brag say this was his goal, but candidate Bragg said that was his major goal. That was the theme that he ran for this position because it's an elected position. And he said during his campaign, he said, We have investigated Donald Trump over 1,100 times. That's what he said. And now he said, this is still during the campaign, he said, he is going to be my number one target. That's not how, number one, it's not how this process is supposed to work. You're not supposed to run on the potential indictment of a single individual on the other side of the political persuasion, as you suggested. But moreover, it, it lends itself to the... just the ludicrousness of these charges. Because if someone goes in who's supposed to be impartial, which is the the state, or in that case, the the district attorney, into the the investigatory process, they are looking for a crime, not investigating the crime. And so that becomes Stalinistic in its, in its pretense. You know, the old saying, you can, you can indict a ham sandwich. Well, we just did. The ham sandwich is named Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Jason, go ahead. It, it's just extremely unsettling, especially, you know, if you've been around a while looking at things, you know, you look at these other politicians and you can go down the list. Obama, Bush, you know, uh, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, George H.W. Bush. I mean, you name it and you can find things on every single one of them. And some of it is just writing your face about it. And they've never been indicted, you know, not not a single time. And and then they find these like nothing charges and they, you know, trump them up to try and get Trump. 
add one layer to this. Again, we, we, we keep talking about how the other side may have left this to socialistic to communist to fascist leanings. But Beria, who was the head of the NKVD at the, in Russia um, in the 50s, said, show me the person and I'll show you the crime. That is exactly what Bragg campaigned on. He said, I've got the person and now I'll go to find the crime. That is that that's communistic. This is purely out of the Stalinistic playbook. Yeah, but gentlemen, let me ask you something, because this, this is what does this really surprise you? Tom, does this really surprise you? Jason, think about it for a second. Does this surprise you? It doesn't surprise me that they try it. It's what surprised me is the amount of people that are going along with it. That's what's, see, that uh, shouldn't surprise you. Troubling. See, and he, here's where I differ from so many of my colleagues that I talk to about this. Nothing surprises me from these people anymore. Nothing. These people don't give a rat's or a camel's ass about anything. They have a goal. When you are a fanatic, this is like these uh, these people, ISIS and, and these uh, terrorist groups, they have a goal. When you have a goal like that and you are a radical, nothing stands in your way. Everything is on the table. They don't care who they maim, who they kill. They they don't care. And this is this is the problem with with and I include myself in this and and and, and you two guys. This is the problem with us. Uh, patriotic Americans, people that love this country. And I'm not saying that just because, well, I'm better than anybody. No, you know, I got a thousand and one defects, but I love this country, you know, and, and th this is the problem with us. I'll, I'll, I'll label us as Americans, American patriots. This is the problem with us, American patriots. We really do believe that everybody thinks like us because we don't go out every morning just thinking of how to screw people's uh, lives up. I was I was uh, having lunch with my wife today. And we were talking. I mean, my wife is very very passionate about this because she came from Cuba and she lived that whole revolution thing. And you know, it was just. And I said, how can people get up every day? These are these are the get up every day with just one thought in mind, and that is to to hurt others, to do their thing regardless. It's just like this ISIS and all these terrorist groups. That's what they do. So see, this doesn't surprise me. The standards in this country have been going down and down and down and down as the years go by. And, and this, once the standards get to a point where there are no, there's no decency anymore. None. I, I did a, an episode quite some time ago. I think I'm going to republish it. And I forget what the title was, but I talked about the fact that when, when Donald Trump came down that escalator, Something happened to this country. For the first time, we had somebody that was willing to stand in front of the microphone, in front of millions and millions, tens of millions of American people, and tell the truth. Now, you may not like him. You may hate him. He's a narcissist, whatever the hell he is. But you know what? Every word that comes out of his mouth is the truth. You see, up to now, everything that he has said has come true. And these people can't stand it. Here's what Donald Trump did, and then I'll hand it back over to you, Tom. Donald Trump came in, and this is why they hate him so much. Because he came in and he did something that's never been done in the history of this country. He took that, the top of that sewer that we, we know is, is, is uh, our government, our, our government, and he just lifted that sewer up. And he exposed it in the stench. It's just like, you know, what, what, what is it? The Pandora's box. He lifted that sewer and all these cockroaches and vermin and rats started coming out and see the daylight for the first time in their life. And all of a sudden, all this is exposed, the stench. They hate him to the point that they are willing to sacrifice our entire system, our entire government, our entire way of life just to see this man destroyed. See, this is what people don't understand. These are fanatics, guys. Tom, over to you. Uh, I'm ranting. No, no, rant, ranting, Ralph. I'm, I'm right with you, brother. So he, let me bring up three points related to what you said. Number one, we used to have what is, what is called the loyal opposition. Uh, it, some of the, your listeners will remember Watergate. I, I was a young kid. I was eight years old watching the Watergate hearings nonstop. Came home from school, watched them. 
I was fascinated by this because I was a I was a geek as a child. I'm now I'm a geek as an adult. Um, I'm I'm passionate about our country. I'm passionate about our republic. But the one thing that everyone should always remember is the turning point of Watergate was when Senator Howard Baker said, "What did the president know, and when did he know it?" That was a Republican who said that about a Republican president, and because he cared more about his constitution, more about his country than he cared about his party, that the Watergate issues boiled over. Now we can talk about that on another show because I, I don't have the same opinion as the, as a lot of people on Watergate, um, and it's a fascinating history. And I'm, I'm a student of it, but I raise that to the point right now is there is not one person within the Democrat elected majority, when I say majority, the, the hierarchy of the federal government members of the Democrat Party who have stood up on principle of what this country stands for and how they have come after this president. To your point, point number two, a, a survey just came out. If you may have seen it in the Wall Street Journal, a couple other places reported on it. Since 1998, in 1998, patriotism was ranked as a high value for 68% of Americans, 68%. That means 32% still did not regard it as a major priority in their life. Today, it is 28%. That is why this was possible this week. That is why what we've watched over the last six years has been able to occur, because they have controlled our education system, and have, instead of using it as an educational system, they've used it as an indoctrination system. So they've devalued our founding principles, devalued constitutional protections, because people call them rights, they're not rights, they're protections, then ultimately they've allowed this process to come into fruition today, which is where people can get manipulated terribly easily simply by the constant barrage of the same media repeating the same Democrat talking points. And they're no longer the Democrat Party. This is a, this is a fascist communist party. Um, point number two, that, that, and that's, we can talk a whole show about that element alone. But then there's the third element. You, wrote, you brought it up. The, since 2016, remember one of the first places that um, President Trump, newly elected President Trump went in January 2021 or 2017, he went to, he went to Langley, Virginia, which is where the CIA is headquartered. And he went in to that facility and he talked to the personnel, the high personnel. They all came into the main concourse area. It's a very large, if you've ever been there, it's a very large room. And he gave a little pep talk to them saying, I'm not against you. But the difference was they were against him. And um, Jason, at, I, I think you're of Cuban descent. Is that correct? Jason, are you, are you of Cuban descent? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so ultimately, and I know, Ralph, your wife is, um, in, 19, in 1961, based on a 1960 research and work and development, we talked about this briefly in another show, the Bay of Pigs occurred. Shortly after that, the failure of that and the failure of our, our, our president at the time, Kennedy, um, the CIA director was fired. Um, and ultimately, Kennedy wanted to retake over the controls of the intelligence community place them back in civilian control of the White House, which is where they're supposed to be. It's an executive department, and it should be controlled by the President of the United States. So he fired the director of the CIA. Fast forward to today. The reason it was so important for uh, Trump to try to build bridges within the CIA, early on, you may remember when he was targeting the CIA, um, Senator Schumer from New York State said, they've got six ways to Sunday to get you. And what they have been doing ever since is going after him. They have used the tactics we've taught and learned within the CIA in the counter-espionage, the counter-infusion, inf um, the false flagging, the products that we've used in Central and South America and Southeast Asia, these elements of tumult that we create through um, technology, through infiltration, the CIA has done within our own borders. And that's what everything from the Russian collusion forward has been orchestrated at the offices of the CIA. This is not hyperbole. This is We know this is fact now. This is not some lunacy rant. The reason this matters is they haven't been able to get him at any, any point, as Jason pointed out, time and time again, even Mueller. Mueller's investigation, $35 million investigating him, no charges against the president. Fast forward, 
Um, we had a special in investigator after him. Still no charges against the uh, the president. It goes down to the same, potentially the same charge that we had leveled that was researched on campaign finance related to uh, the payoff of two young women that he may or may not have had an affair with. And I'm not even going to go to the to the 34 charges. We do hear rumors that it's um, statutorily related to bookkeeping elements to how those payoffs were made. We'll see. That's fine. But the, the legal theory that's being used is a extravagant one. And, and it's what, you know, in, in virus circles, they call it a novel virus with it's never been seen before. Well, the legal, I'm sorry, the legal theory related to what we understand at this point, we may find out something different on Tuesday, but at this point, what we're hearing is it's a novel legal theory. It's not one that's ever been used, yet we're using it, we're using the nuclear option and elevating to charge a, a sitting or a, a, well, a former president. This hasn't happened in American history. In fact, there's only been two vice presidents that have been indicted. One of them was Aaron Burr. He was he was indicted twice, once for the murder of Alexander Hamilton. And in an early American tradition, that was, you know, whisked away and, and, and swept under the carpet. And then he was indicted again for treason, for trying to overthrow the United States government about 1807, somewhere around there. And then we had Spear Agnew during the Nixon administration. So talk about novel. It's never been done to an ex-president. It's never been done to a sitting president. It's only been done to two vice presidents. Folks, we are uncharted territory. That's kind of where I stand right there on those three points. Um, so I believe it was Kennedy that famously said he wanted to shatter the intelligence community into a million yeah. or a thousand pieces. Yeah. And it wasn't long after that, um, you know, we no longer had our That's president right. Kennedy. And I mean, it's interesting. Hillary Clinton warned Trump. I believe she was on CNN and she warned Trump that the intelligence apparatus could come after him. And I think that was the declaration of civil war, I'd say, this new strange civil war. And, you know, if we if we look into some of the laws and not to get too conspiratorial on this <laughs> this video, but um, in the National Defense Authorization Act, they do legalize the use of propaganda on the American people. And I'm just going to sh share my screen real quick for a second. You know, and this is just a quick look. I've read through it. It's actually pretty interesting. Other than this stuff, um, there's some pretty high-end technology that uh, our military kind of reveals in there. I thought it was very interesting. We could do a video on that. But um, they they tell us. It's in the black and white. You know, it, it, they've, they've had it there forever. That's like U.S. repeals propaganda ban spreads government-made news to Americans. This is another... Uh, headline and this goes back to what year is this let me show oh, here 2013 so this is before trump they were setting up the apparatus so that they can get all these things done and you know that's recent but if you really want to get to the bottom of this you can look at the kissinger report and you know we could stick that on the screen so you guys can see it uh, in post-production but um Basically, that's where it all started. That's where you get the idea of overpopulation, of control of the people, uh, really, you know, not republic type things. You know, these are very democratic type things. You know, they, they what's the saying? Um, democracy is two wolves and a sheep arguing over what's for dinner. <laughs> this is right. where we're at. You know, they're turning our republic into a democracy. And that's what they constantly repeat oh because we are a democracy and a threat to democracy and we're not a democracy there's elements of dem democracy at local levels and things like that and our congress votes you know and that's a democratic process but we are a constitutional representative republic and it needs to stay that way you know in, in some uh, you know aspects i think we need more more protections from, from uh, our politicians well, 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 I'm glad you mentioned that word politicians, you see, because this is where I go off the deep end. And, you know, Tom and I had a conversation, I think the last time we spoke about term limits and stuff like that. Here's my question, I, because my head's about to explode. My question is this. Why do we keep reelecting these morons decade after decade? Oh, do we? Well, so I, you and I, you and I talked about wanting to do something about this. 
I, I will tell you, and I'm going to give you the thumbnail. We won't go into the depth. But I'll give you the thumbnail. What we've discerned and decided and, and discovered is that it's not the politicians who are the problem. Now, granted, they are a problem. They are, they're cancer on our system. But at the core of that problem is that unelected bureaucracy um, because they control. So I'll give you one example. President Trump had many policies that he implemented many of which never saw the light of day. Why? Because they require the implication of those policies at the department level, at the agency level. And because they, these people inside government understand that they're, they're there for 30 years, and at worst, this administrator, the head of the, uh, the Secretary of State or the Secretary of Commerce, the Secretary of uh, Defense, doesn't matter, um, at most, they're going to be there five or six years. I mean, they may they may have potential to be there eight years, but they never are. This, very rarely, it's even more than five years because usually, first term, um, you know, nominated and approved uh, leaders of a department or agency typically leave on year five after, because partially because of the inertia of knowing that they can't get things done effectively. Newt Gingrich famously talked about this when he was Secretary of State, and he said, you know, this is the this is truly the fifth branch of government because. It runs its own entity. It, the, the, the Foreign Service does not respond well to changes that presidents try to make in foreign policy. So on the domestic level, multiply that even deeper, that the functionality of our government is built on this deep state that was diagnosed and discovered. And we always knew it existed, but we never saw it weaponized like it has been in recent years. Now, it's always been weaponized. And it's been weaponized in a way that we just didn't see. It was underneath the surface. But now we're witnessing that deep state effectiveness and forthrightness. And they don't care that we see them because they know they're still going to have their job tomorrow. The reason that Comey had his power, the reason that McCabe had his power, the reason that uh, Prezorek and all these guys within that apparatus did not fear the president of the United States, their ultimate boss, is because... They had the protection of the deep state around them. Yes. Tom, I agree with a lot mm-hmm. of what you just said. Now, we're going to leave this th- – th- that topic, we're, let's, we need to Take do a, a, yep. yeah, a, just a separate uh, episode <clears throat> on that topic alone. Um, I think it all, I I think it all begins with us. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jason. Just something to add sure. to, to uh, what Tom was talking about. It was a couple nights ago. Uh, Lindsey Graham goes on with Jesse Waters on Fox News and Jesse Waters wanted to press him about the Restrict Act. And of course, Lindsey Graham is a co-sponsor to this act. And Jesse Waters starts asking him how he can support such an authoritarian takeover of our free speech on the Internet and anywhere electronic. And basically, Lindsey Graham had no knowledge of anything that was inside that bill. So who wrote it? It wasn't Lizzie Graham, you know, and that's the problem is that these staffers and these bureaucrats are running our government and it needs to stop. Jason, I agree with you, but I'll tell you this. It's not those people that are running this government. We are the ones, we, the American citizens, the voters are the ones that are responsible for everything that's going on. I always like to take things. Let's go to the beginning. What? You have to go back to the basics. To me, it's almost like this is why, to me, our election system that is, is – this is – our election system is no longer an election system. But this has been going on for many, many, many years. So you got to go back and you've got to say, how do these people keep getting reelected? Now, and I understand, Tom, and we're going to get into that in a, in a future episode. We'll, we'll get more in-depth into that. But see, this goes – to me, it's almost like an, uh, like an opt- octopus that has the head and it's got a bunch of te- te- tentacles. Um why are the American people, and including myself for many, many, many years when I was younger, why, why are we so, uh, God, what word am I trying to use? Unbelieving. Why are, why are we so, what, what word am I using? Uh, it's, it's almost like we're ignorant. Complacent. It's almost like, you know, we don't know. You just. Gullible. Gullible. Um, e- there you easily, go. Easily persuaded, right? So, yeah. So to your point, yeah. let, let me just answer that question real fast. So. It's a math problem. And so as a, I had a campaign consulting business for many years. And when I would sit down in front of a candidate, I would say, your election is a math problem. It's not a political problem. They're like, what are you talking about? I said, 
I don't care what issues you stand for because you're going to get 40% of the vote and your opponent's going to get 40% of the vote. So what we're now going to fight over is that 20% in the middle. And then we can actually dissect that down into particulars. And so once you break that down, now we know. We, let's, let's say there's 1,500 people in that district, right? We know that it's going to come down to about 250 of those voters. So how do we get those voters to move in one direction or another? Well, look what the left has done. The left has manipulated the system so that they control those basic elements that you were talking about, Ralph, and that is the education, the inputs, how people, the inputs that go into people's psyche, what they understand or believe to be true is that base point, that foundation. So when, when are municipal elections? They're not held in November in any, in any major state. They're held in March, typically, or April, right? And so instead of having 60% voter turnout, like we had in, in 2020, um, even in a typical presidential election, when we have 55 or 54% voter turnout, municipal elections are down below 15% typically. I mean, we just had one in Hillsborough County here for city, for city council and mayor. It's a city. It's one of the top cities in America. And we only had, we had 12.9% of the people turn out. So when it's a math problem like that, it is so easy for people like me who are professionals at manipulating um, the narrative, so to speak, not manipulating the outcome, manipulating the narrative. So we now know, then you go to the people, you can rank the voters by by how, how their propensity of voting, right? So if, if I know my 40% is going to vote at 80% per chance that they're going to vote, we know we don't need to spend a lot of money on that. We need to spend our resources on those high propensity, nonpartisan voters, so then you identify those people. My point of bringing all this up is that science behind electioneering that goes to your point, Ralph, the reason we in this country keep reelecting bastards um, and, and people who are known felons. I mean, let's look at this. Fetterman gets elected in Western Pennsylvania, a state legislator who died during the primary. I mean, I mean, <laughs> during the election, he won the election. Why? Because so much is built into this cake already. And the reason we have left these loopholes open in our electioneering process to allow fraud, to allow, I mean, the reality is the same people who claim they do not want voter ideas, IDs, if they go to their union meeting, they have to show an ID to vote. They have to show an ID to get alcohol. They have to show IDs to get cigarettes. You know, almost everything in their life, they can't get on a plane the way they vote, because you have to show an ID. The reality is our system is purposely dumbed down, just like our education system is, to get the lowest common denominator. And that is the problem, and Jason's 100% right. We are not a democracy. We are, in, we are, we are a re representative republic democracy. That democracy is low D, and that is the process of electing or making decisions is democratic, but the process of our country is not democracy like, you know, Athens was pure de democracy, right? And it failed. And, and the Platonic Republic is the, our founders were great studies of history. They understood the failings of democracy. That's why they created this representative republic in, in, instead of it. So ultimately, when we get to the bottom line here, how does it play out against Trump here? Well, we have a foreign donor in George Soros who is purposely selected the weakest links in the chains, the most manipulative people in the world, change that word, the most manipulative prone people in the world, people that he can control through his donations. What did, if, if you look at um, uh, the former Project Veritas effort that they just, um, it's no longer Project Veritas anymore. Um, but if you look what they just did in Maryland, they found out that Act Blue, um, these individuals donated. 1,000, 1,500, 30,000 times in a given year. Um, small amounts, $50 here, $50 there, $10 here, $70 there. And what's interesting is when he confronted these donors at their doors, not one of them believed that they ever donated you know, $130,000 or $16,000 or $20,000 in all these. No, I gave $50. So what we're seeing is there was money laundering going on through Act Blue by major donors, probably many foreign donors, probably the Chinese. It's not an accident that in 1996, the Chinese were infiltrating 
Al Gore and the uh, and the Clinton administration with huge donations from overseas. It's not an accident that Al Gore um, at the time was vice president and that Joe Biden was vice president when he was gaining access to the Chinese relationships and Hunter Biden and all these funds. But they don't go and get indictments against those people. They, the process goes and gets the indictments against Donald Trump. And this is where we bring it back. Donald Trump is simply, as you point out, he's a representative to the of the people of exposing this truth. And as Jason pointed out, this dates back to, to John F. Kennedy, the fear of the deep state and the powers to be exposed. They will do anything. They will do anything to protect their Leviathan. Sure. I agree. Listen, before I'll hand it over to you, Jason, and then we'll close this out because I don't want to extend this thing. We could talk about this thing forever. Um, if there's an accident, <clears throat> there's a car accident and someone is hurled from the car and they're lying there. Jason, you're a paramedic. You did that for years. There's mm -hmm. an accident. Somebody's hurled from an automobile. He's severely injured. And two people come to his aid. And one is just a regular guy. He's a carpenter. The other guy is a surgeon, medically trained, and they both try to help this guy. Who is held to a higher standard, Jason? The surgeon, Why? of course. Because he has higher medical training. Of course. I mean, that's you're held to a higher standard. Here's, here's what I don't understand about government, and I'll never understand this. These all these people, every single politician from 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 the local school board. Anybody, anybody that, that has an, an, an office that has any power that was, a, you know, that was either voted on by the people or elected by somehow they have a position of power where they can influence people's lives. They are in my mind, they are public figures. Is that a correct statement? They serve yep. the public. Well, let me ask you this. Why don't they why aren't they held to a higher standard <clears throat> than most just regular people? Here's one of the problems because because in in violation of our constitution and their oaths of office, they gave themselves certain immunities, and I think that needs to oh, be so self governance. Oh, I get, I get you. It's good for them. Well, but well, add one more thing: the, the Acton principle, Lord Acton principle. You know, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power sure. corrupts absolutely. I mean, so the, the reality is, let me just share something, and I don't mean to interrupt here, but I just want to share this because I had a special opportunity um, Friday night to spend time with Byron Donalds, who um, had got 20 votes from his colleagues to be Speaker of the House, got some time to spend with uh, the Governor DeSantis and with uh, um, Congresswoman Laurel Lee. And so we had some good conversation. Uh, let me tell you what Byron said, and this is, this is absolutely right. He said, people don't realize the real reason we did what we did, that those 20 Republicans who held out um, for, against Speaker McCarthy was because of the tyranny, the power that Speaker Pelosi had accumulated in the Speaker's office. And so the democratic principles that we even had, the rules that we had within the Congress, um, the operating manual, so to speak, had been changed so frighteningly um, badly to empower and put absolute power into the Speaker's chair. And so much of the, re the, the returns they wanted on holding back their votes were to democratize, as Jason would point out, democratize back the voting rights of each of the legislators so that the speaker does not have absolute control over the house. Um, and that was, so, and that was a little bit of a learning experience for me because I, I knew some of the highbrow stuff that they wanted some powers back, but he explained, he listed about 15 different principles that had been in existence for over 150 years in the, in the, in the chamber, but that had been uh, eroded by the Pelosi mafia that, that ran the Congress. And so it, we got to thank these people for putting their neck out there and, and reforming the process, which it can then be bastardized again when the Democrats take over again. So it's something we've got to stand vigilant against. I just want to share that with you guys, just because I thought that was very uh, important to, uh, to hear from, from Byron on that. Uh, that's great information. Yeah, that's I, I hadn't heard that. And that, that's, that's great information. But before we close, I just want to take you back. Why don't we hold these people that affect our lives on a daily basis. Why don't we hold them to a higher standard? If they are public figures, they should be held to a much higher standard than the regular person. And, and, and I say that because these, these guys come into office. We don't know what their background is. We, we don't know. <coughs> here's a, here's a question I have. 
if you're if you're running for senator, if you're running for a house, the House of Representatives, wh- why aren't you required to divulge your financial situation? Why are you not required to to uh, to divulge the taxes for the last five years that you filed? Why are you not required to divulge any and all information on bank accounts that you may have domestic firms? Now, now I under, look, I understand there's a lot of arguments against that. My problem is that I know for a fact, and and I I, I did an episode on this. I keep keep saying I did an episode on this. I, I got to go back in. A lot of these things I never even published, but I'm going to start publishing those things. And it's almost like you, you, you take some, these guys get in, in, into Congress. Most of these guys, they get into Congress and, and some were self-made, but most of them, they get into Congress. They're broke. They're just, they're just regular people. Ralph, there's, there's two great examples. Well, we know Joe Biden. At the peak of his, his time in the Senate, I think his salary was, was $174,000. Right. Um, and so, and he, and he spent a lifetime there. Um, so we know that, and he came out a, a millionaire. That's one example on that side. Well, let me give you the, one example on our side. When Dennis Hastert, who became Speaker of the House after the, the debacles after Gingrich, when they came after Gingrich, much like they came after um, Trump, um, and then the Speaker from Louisiana, I can't think of his name right now, and then it became Hastert. Here's the problem. Hastert was a wrestling coach in high school before he became a member of Congress. When he retires from Congress, his net worth is over $18 million. Now, this illustrates the problem. And here's the problem. Every one of these, we'll give, let's put it this way. Nancy Pelosi admitted to insider trading and was challenged on it. And she said, well, I'm, I'm allowed to do it. It's, it's legal. Well, it wasn't legal for, um, our, the, what's her name? Uh, who, who's the woman who always had the TV shows on cooking and stuff? Martha Stewart. Yeah, Martha, Martha Stewart, Stewart goes to uh, jail for insider trading, for a very minor insider trading. And Nancy Pelosi becomes a multimillionaire in addition on addition to her husband's wealth. But ultimately, what we need to do is place in restrictions. Everyone needs to put when you're elected Congress, it should everything goes should go to the blind trust, and you cannot uh, trade the, the stocks and, and bonds and, and securities. Uh, that is first and foremost what needs to be done, so that the the insider trading is potentially uh, neutered and 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 eliminated from that practice. That's the uh, that's the most important element, but. There's a lot more we can discuss in the future shows. Yeah, and you know we're going to hold that for another episode. I've got I de- delineated five five requirements that I believe should should be imposed on anybody who runs for public office. I listed them five and I explained them very briefly. So I, we're going to do an episode on that. I'm going to hit you gentlemen with those five things. And and then we'll have a discussion on that because that goes to the heart of the matter. That's just like everything. These people need to be held to a certain standard. That's just I go down to the lowest common denominator. You if you as a as a father, I'm a father of five. As a father, I cannot demand something from my children that I am not willing to do myself. I cannot demand for them to behave a certain way if I behave uh, to contrary to that which I'm preaching. I am. I have to hold myself to the highest standard possible to be able to look at my kids in the eye and says, "Don't do that." You can't. You know, this is the same with these. We let these politicians run wild. They can do whatever the hell they want. And here's the problem. And this is where I tie this in, and I let it go because I'll keep ranting forever. This is why people. This is why today, these politicians get away with it because we allow them to get away with it. You know why? You know why? Because the tentacles of that octopus head are the ones that keep us. You take the entertainment industry. What is their job? Their job is to keep us entertained, keep us distracted while these these bozos, you know, they they indoctrinate us and our kids. This is why people don't pay attention anymore to what's going on. They get these politicians that, you know, when when election season comes along, oh, my God, they promise all this stuff and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then the election's over and then they spend, what, three, four years and they don't do jack bananas. You see, and nobody remembers, you know, why they're too busy, busy watching the football games and, and go, the barbecues and all this crap. And then a few months before the next election, the, these guys come out and they start talking all that crap again and people believe them. You see, because people, th- this is my whole. You, well, th- this is this is my my argument on term limits, and we'll oh, get no, into no. that. Oh no, no, Ralph, I, I, let, let me just circle us back right to a, a, the, the the Trump indictment just for a second. So on Tuesday he gets um, arraigned, um, and the charges will, will will be seen. We'll get to see the charges once it's once the arraignment's done. There's a rumor that he is the judge who doesn't like him apparently, 
um, or at least he claims he doesn't like him. Trump claims the judge doesn't like him, Murrah, uh, whatever his name is. But the important part, they may put a, uh, you know, a, a squelch order on his on his commentary um, about the case, which would be really bad. But here's the here's the good news for people. I, I want I want to lay something out there just just so people have a hope. Number one, Donald Trump in the '70s, his best friend, his pal around buddy um, was Roy Cohn, who Roy Cohn was an irreverent uh, lawyer. You may remember him from your early days, Ralph. I do. Um, and so. One of his tactics, and Roy Cohn was a buddy with Bobby Kennedy back in the day, too, just to give you some perspective. Um, one of his tactics in, in cases like this would always be to, to attack and delay, attack and delay, attack and delay. And so if you notice, that's been Trump's methodology. So at best, unless this case is completely expedited, which will be very tough to do, but it's possible, this case is a two-year case. I mean, it's going to take a while to get through jury selection. And interestingly, in New York State, jury selection, um, you can apply for um, unlimited um, exclusions for, for the jury pool. So, you know, typically there's, you, know, you, you have a limit. You can take four or six sometimes. They'll be, a, they'll, they're going to appeal for as many restrictions as they can get because of the, because of the venue. The venue is going to be challenged. Trump's team is going to challenge the venue. They're going to challenge the judge. They're going to, they're going to attempt to use interlocutory, which is a, a tool that would move to dismiss it and change it. They can also use, you know, use a apply for a writ of mandamus to move it on to an upper, a higher court to get out of this. There's a lot of legal techniques that they can use to delay and push this in different directions. The election will likely take place, but the the primary will definitely take place before this trial is significantly featured, um, wherever it may end up being. Even if they ask for just a simple change of venue, they'll, they'll ask immediately for a, you know, a motion to dismiss uh, and they'll use the bias of the, the district attorney as a basis for that. Because his, his, as Jason pointed out, he talked about during this campaign that he wanted to come after Trump. So he's created a bias case. He's created a case where he's going to have to recuse himself potentially as the DA and move that case out. There's a lot of avenues that Trump is going to pursue to delay and push this down the field. One is to dismiss it immediately, to stop it and end it immediately. And there's about five different ways he can do that, and he's going to challenge all those. If those all fail, he's going to then push for the delays, and those delays will happen. We may see President Trump again before we see this even enter the courtroom in, a, in an effective phase. Um, and so the nice thing is, at that point, we, we, we enter a new legal hurdle, and that is, can you actually convict a sitting president, or do you have to wait till he's he or she is done? Um, the interesting part is a lot of this is unknown because we've never taken – this has never been an issue. So I just want to share with, that with the audience that there's all so much more drama to come in this case. It's not a simple – Tuesday's not going to end the drama. It actually begins the drama. And the reason they waited to um, – there's two reasons. One is New York State requires you to seal um, indictments until the arraignment. So it, it wasn't done politically. It was done by – by law, rule of law. But the other factor is um, they didn't have to talk about this and it was released illegally. And the person who did so is, is in violation of the law and could be held accountable too. But the reason it was done is so that left, left in the media, the mouthpieces can get their rants in and, and call them a criminal, 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 right? And so, but I just wanted to lay that out there just so people understand the timeline that we're talking about. Okay, so Tom, just before we leave now, what what is, give me your... Um... Give me your take on this. What do you what do you think is going to happen? Like in the Reader's Digest version, just Cliff Notes version. I ultimately think this will be dismissed. I, I don't think it'll ever get to a court um, in in the in the form of a, uh, a actual evidence, right? Because we haven't even gone through the evidentiary phase because that we have we haven't even got to the court. So the evidentiary phase and sharing of evidence is going to be a a a circus in itself. I think ultimately this was a political play, knowing that. There are no the, the the basis of elevating the misdemeanor to a felony um, that was already rejected by the federal government. Because understand, there are no felonies at the state level. The the, the felonies if if these thirty four counts are related to the book work, right? I mean, the line of records, which is what they presume most of them are, um, it are are not indictable felonies. They're indictable misdemeanors. So what raises it to a felony is the 
uh, campaign finance FEC elements of this, and they were already rejected by both the FEC and um, federal prosecutors looking at these cases. So to elevate, because they had to get past the two-year statute of limitations on these uh, misdemeanors. So I think what's ultimately going to happen is I think it, which has never been done before because an interlocutory is not an element of the lower level um, state case, a, a, a district case. So an interlocutory can't be used at that element, but here's the part that ties it in. And this is why it's so convoluted is that the DA admitted that he received $5,000 in funds from the federal government for this investigation, which changes now the, the attempt will be to add the interlocutory because the federal government was involved. And so what I think is going to ultimately happen is because of the, the strangeness of this case, the uniqueness, the, the albatross, the unicornness of this case, it'll eventually be dismissed. Um, but I think at a different level, meaning I, I think it, they'll have a, this judge won't dismiss it, but it'll change venue and then it'll be dismissed. And then the pariah of, oh, my God, he's he's not facing this. He's not facing the trial that he deserved. That's going to be the narrative. And I think that's part of the narrative. They want this to all happen before the presidential election. They were hoping that they could find these Kate, this felon, felonious element that deny him an access to winning the nomination. But as the $4 million that just came in over the last four days tells you, that's not going to happen. But ultimately, it's going to get dismissed, in my opinion. But that's 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 just my novice opinion of my legal jurisprudence knowledge, which is very limited. Jason? So before I comment further on Trump and his indictment, I want to do a little shout out to James O'Keefe. Uh, it's O'Keefe Media yes. Group. That's what he, where he, uh, what he started now. You know, after the whole stunt Project Veritas yep. pulled, um, and he's coming out with a huge one, I think this week. Um, but um, yeah, so back to Trump. Uh, I, like I agree with you, Tom. I think he's going to beat this. It's going to get thrown out, or you know, some a higher court's going to step in and and quash the whole thing. But what I would really like to see from this, I would love to see. Trump and DeSantis unite from this and unite both, you know, our rhino Republicans that still remain from the Bush side and our MAGA, you know, Trump Republicans come together um, under a new Republican Party that can move forward. And I mentioned it in one of our previous uh, previous shows. We really need to make the Democratic Party great again. We need both parties to be strong. We can't have weakness on either side. And right now there's weakness on both sides. So it would be really nice if uh, after this, everybody can be born again and, you know, we move forward together. Wow, Jason. Totally agree. Excellent point, Jason. I mean, think about, think of Tulsi Gabbard. She was, she was a throwback Democrat right now. And she's left the party because it's no longer a viable political party. It is a criminal syndicate. Yeah. I love her, by the way. She's awesome. <sighs> I wish I could think like you, Jason. I, I, and I want to so badly. I want to so badly, so badly. <laughs> it, it, my take is this. There is no case. There is no case here. This, I agree with Tom and both. This will be get thrown out at some point. Um, this is just one more arrow in their quiver. They've thrown everything at this man since he came down that escalator. And, and, and once they get past this, if they can, if they have to, they're going to continue to throw crap at him because he is just what I call cog in the wheel. He, he came, he, he disrupted their entire agenda that they have been working on for over a hundred years. Tom, you're a historian. You and I someday we're going to get into a, a discussion on that because this has been going on since FDR. Okay. Mm -hmm. What's going on now has been going on for over a hundred oh, yeah. years. Absolutely. But here's, here's my take on this. And, and then we'll close out with this. Um, remember uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor? Who was the yep. famous general, the Japanese general? Remember? Tojo. Remember? Yep. Yakimoto. Yeah. Was it Yakimoto? General. No, no, uh, to to Tojo, Tojo <laughs> led, to Tojo led that. Yamamoto was the Supreme Commander. Tojo the was... The Supreme Commander. Ya Yamamoto, yep. right? Yep. And remember what he said, Tom, when... Uh, Wake the sleeping giant. Yes. yes. I yep. am afraid that we have awoken a sleeping giant. That's right. This gentleman, to me, is a sleeping giant being awakened. 
Yeah. These people have overplayed their hand. Yes. It wasn't, it was all that was leading up to it, but this is the dagger in the heart. Everybody that has any sense of decency, all these people that are preoccupied with the football games and all this, the barbecue and all, they're, they're just, they're seething because enough is enough. This was the dagger in the heart. This is going to come back to bite them in the ass. If they had any chance of keeping the White House in 2024, they blew it. Big yep. time. That's my take on this. Yep. Gentlemen, Agreed. as always, it's a pleasure. Um, we got to follow this up. There's so many interesting things to talk about. Folks, if you're listening to this, please, I should have done this before. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, the like button, ring that bell. Share this with everybody you know, because we need the American. If we need American, you see, most people think that America runs on Duncan. Remember that, folks? <laughs> America doesn't run on Duncan. America runs on patriotism. And it's guys like you out there that are listening to this. If you're just, if you're just so pissed at what's going on, now's the time to do something. About it. Share this with everybody, everybody that you know. Ring that bell, subscribe, get it out there, stay informed. Maybe you should stop watching as many football games as you watch, baseball games, and maybe cut back on a barbecue now and then and pay attention to what's going on in your own backyard, folks. Because I'm telling you right now, they're, tar- they're, they're taking this country, they're tearing it away from us. So I, I ask you, I implore you to share this with people. Stay in tune, find out what's going on, and let's make our voices heard. Because this is the probably to me, this is, I see this as the greatest injustice in the history of this country. And that's saying a hell of a lot. Our country's in danger, folks. But just remember that here at You and the Truth, our job is to bring you face to face with the truth. Now, what you do with it is up to you. Gentlemen, as always, it's been a pleasure. You have just come face to face with the truth. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and hit that bell so you will be notified when we drop new episodes.